This is episode 65 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where Earth's mightiest heroes are subdued by a Zodiac-themed villain, and that means Daredevil to the rescue. Hello everyone, I am Dave and this is my Daredevil Podcast, henceforth to be known officially as Dave's Daredevil Podcast. And officially I am J. David Weeder, out in the real world, but I'm Dave here because I'm me and if I can't be myself on my own show, where can that happen? As always, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is all about reading Daredevil comics, enjoying Daredevil comics, and talking about reading and enjoying Daredevil comics. And this week is certainly no exception, as we're going to be looking at an issue of The Avengers featuring our horned hero. And just a reminder to everybody that the show is moving August 23rd, that will be episode 70, to the Two True Freaks Audio Empire. And I'm really looking forward to that. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm not going to front. July is a nightmare. I knew there was going to be a sort of bottleneck to the schedule that everything was going to pile up all at once. I didn't realize there were going to be a few ins and outs, such as a new computer some car repairs, etc. Now, August and onward is going to be glorious, but the next few weeks are going to be rough for me. So I'm just going to be completely honest that this episode and the next two, all the way through episode 67, are basically being uploaded all at once. So, some information is going to be a little off. But from August onward, we're going to be looking at a fertile, prolific period for podcasting for me. Just the way my schedule is going to line up, it's going to be glorious. Now, I do have a quick email this week from Mr. Brad Dade, and I want to give Brad a big, big thanks. Brad was kind enough to tip me off about the casting two weeks ago of Elektra. But Brad writes, Hi Dave, first, thanks for adding our podcast promo on episode 52. Just to let you know, your promo went on episode 68 of the Hornet's Nest podcast. Brad continues, I had sent you a couple of other emails, but I think they were lost when your old email went down. Too bad because they had some amazing insights that would have changed how you look at Daredevil and life in general. Actually, they probably would have rambled for far too long and likely made little sense, kind of like now. Cheers, Brad. And Brad, I gotta be honest with you, that was far from a rambling email. That was a pretty concise email, and it's my pleasure to play your podcast promo. I think the Green Hornet is a massively underrated character, and I'm glad to see him get some podcast love. Now, if only somebody would build a Shazam podcast about the comics and the characters... I think the world would be pretty complete. But I appreciate you dropping a line about dropping a line, and I wish we could have seen some of those insights. If they come back to you, Brad, feel free to throw those my way. And I know some of you are wondering where your email is. There are two emails that are specifically earmarked for specific episodes, for specific reasons. So Dave Loudon and Ziggy Manifer, I have your emails. I am specifically holding them for full discussion reasons. And as mentioned at the top of the show, this week we have an issue of The Avengers. That's right, The Avengers, big movie stars from back in May. You can't really accuse me of obligatory coattail writing episodes here. I'm the guy that missed the train. But this is here for a reason. It serves as a prologue to what is coming, which is my double feature, double feature. Which will be two separate crossovers consisting of two issues apiece. But since the first double feature revolves around the Zodiac Key, I kind of wanted to get a bit of a prologue in there. 
So this week, we've got it all. We've got the Zodiac Key and we've got the Avengers. Now, some of you are wondering what the Zodiac Key is. I'm going to answer that question when we come back from a promo for, appropriately, John M. Wilson and Lily Wilson's Avengers Inspirations podcast. That is a show that has been exploring early tales of the Avengers characters you would see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they have just hit the point where the Avengers have formed. So they're in new and exciting territory, so definitely check out Avengers Inspirations, of which I'm going to play the promo now. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, Mm -hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not the Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So, um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be, in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you! Avengers Assemble! Leave it to me! You know, the local mall back in the 80s and 90s had an arcade in Aladdin's Castle. Big, huge arcade. And of course, I played all the classics there. The X-Men arcade game, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, and Turtles in Time. Simpsons arcade game, as well as standalones like Superman, Afterburner, things like that. It was a beautiful, beautiful arcade that originally was huge, as I mentioned. It was just gigantic, different chambers. Eventually, kind of streamlined down and disappeared. There's a subway in the mall where that used to be. And while all those great games were there, across the corridor at the mall's movie theater, in the lobby, was... Captain America and the Avengers, which was a phenomenal arcade game. A game that probably doesn't get the credit it's due, kind of like the Spider-Man arcade game. Always loved that game, and that was probably one of my biggest prominent Avengers memories. Because it led me to the comics, so this would have been around the leather jacket era. 
which I feel is much maligned for no particular reason. It was a cool era, the only problem was Avengers weren't selling at that time. So my Avengers kind of sit in the 90s or so, with a little bit in the 80s when the lineup was odd, to say the least. So I'm not an Avengers fanboy from way back, however I've been doing a little bit of reading, especially to set up for this week's episode in which Daredevil guest stars in The Avengers. And there's a lot to kind of set up with this week's issue in terms of, well, Daredevil's going into another book where there's kind of an ongoing story of sorts. So let me take you back, way back, to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number one. What does this have to do with anything? Well, bear with me, I'll explain it. In that issue, Nick Fury faced a villain called Scorpio. And Scorpio was basically out to kill Fury with an onk-shaped key that fired odd energy and other things. Basically, it just did whatever the story demanded. Scorpio went on to be revealed as Nick Fury's brother, Jake Fury, who died in a hail of bullets. So Nick faked his own death and took on the guise of Scorpio to infiltrate Scorpio's organization because, well, as in all things spy-related, it's only the tip of the iceberg. Now, jump ahead to Avengers number 72, where the Fury Scorpio captured the Avengers and flushed out the other members of Scorpio's organization, the crime cartel known as the Zodiac. Guess what their theme is? That's right, each member takes on the guise of a certain sign of the Zodiac, and they lead during their respective periods of the year. Now, bringing it a little bit closer in the time frame, in Avengers 80, we started seeing this team start to split up a bit. Sort of a mini-schism. And that stems from what each member wanted to tackle as a team. So they went their separate ways. Cap took Thor, Iron Man, and Quicksilver to search out the newly reformed Zodiac. Goliath, Scarlet Witch, and the Vision went to help a new character called Red Wolf to fight off a real estate jerk named Van Lunt. And Black Panther went off on his own to fight organized crime. Which kind of brings us up to the present with Avengers number 82, the November 1970 issue. Looking at the cover, we have the Avengers charging at the reader alongside Daredevil himself. The characters tell us that the city is in chains and they are the only ones who can save it and nothing must stop them. And they bellow out the great call, Avengers Assemble. You know, I don't know if this works against it or for it, but this is a very stock cover. I mean, it's always cool to see the heroes, especially the Avengers, being heroic. And Daredevil looks... Alright. He's a little bit off, but the whole cover's off. Again, we have the full Avengers lineup. Cap, Thor, Iron Man, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Wasp, The Vision, The Black Panther, and Goliath. Yes, Goliath, who was formerly Hawkeye. It's an odd era for the character. Never quite understood this particular move when you've got a great idea in the Archer, but yeah, you do what you do, right? You try new things. It's just, again, it's off. It's nothing broken about it, just there's an odd texture to the city street. It looks futuristic. It looks like a street from Cybertron is what it looks like, and that takes me out of this cover. And again, it's just a stock cover. The heroes are being heroes. What does this have to do with the story inside? Well, I'm glad you asked. This particular story is entitled Hostage, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by John Buscema, inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by Sam Rosen. If you want to get your hands on this, it is in Essential Avengers Volume 4, Marvel Masterworks Volume 117, which is Avengers Volume 9, Marvel Digital, Comixology, and Digital Unlimited. So let's see how this particular story plays out. It is September 21st, 1970 in New York City at 4.37 a.m., and the streets suddenly become alive with shouts and flashlights. The island of Manhattan is being invaded by an army of futuristic soldiers with knockout gas guns. They overrun the police, destroy bridges over rivers, and an underwater tunnel is crushed and flooded. The mayor himself is taken hostage as the early morning siege grips Manhattan. 
The news quickly reaches the White House and the speculation begins as to the identity of who is the invader. As if on cue, a presidential aide turns on the television to answer that very question. A man in a ram mask named Ares claims full responsibility. Ares and his troops have even managed to easily deflect the military's attempt to come to the rescue thanks to a force field around the city, cutting it off from the rest of the world. If that isn't bad enough, Ares also has some very valuable hostages, the Avengers themselves. And if the sum of one billion dollars is not delivered in 24 hours, the entire population of Manhattan will be erased. Alright, let's take a moment to talk about this first act. As soon as you open the comic, you're greeted on page one with this symbolic splash page with the Avengers caught in large tentacles. Ares is in flames yelling and the globe is behind them. Why wasn't this the cover? I think this says a lot more than the cover. It's more story specific. It's more dynamic. I know I shouldn't second guess the people who, you know, did this for a living at the time and made those decisions, but I would have gone with this well over the stock cover. But c'est la vie, right? Now, having said that, the art really is strong. It leads the charge in this issue without getting in the way of the story. Buscema definitely brings it with this invasion. This is kind of a big deal. Now, if you don't know who John Buscema is, little background, he was the youngest artist in the timely bullpen before Marvel came along. When that bullpen got disassembled, he kind of went his own way, but eventually came back to Marvel to become, really honestly, the heir to Jack Kirby. Buscema took over Kirby's main flagship titles, those being the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. And of course, his brother Sal is very renowned for being a great Hulk artist. But these images are just striking. The first page is just the empty, quiet, early morning streets, people sleeping, and suddenly the invasion happens slowly as you go down this first story page. The milkman sees it. People are running as they're leaving clubs. It happens slowly and subtly, but the terror is there. And in the invasion, we see the characters pass a poster of a movie called The Invader. This is a 1935 Buster Keaton film about a millionaire trying to win over a girl in Mexico. Nothing to do with a military invasion, thankfully. This is a true invasion on our soil, which, as a concept, is absolutely terrifying. And it's probably harder to fathom as a citizen of the United States than other areas. But it very much could be a reality. And that's terrifying, because while it's unfamiliar, it's not completely out of that realm of possibility, even if we don't want to acknowledge that. Now, in this case, we have the Zodiac Army, which, they don't look realistic per se, they have a very strong Kirby design, the tech isn't as distinctive as you would see with Kirby tech, but the flip side to that is it's far less distracting than Kirby tech would be. And of course, they begin sealing off Manhattan, destroying bridges, Flooding tunnels, leaving no exit, which is an incredibly genius plan when you think about it. We're going to strike in the night, swiftly cut off all channels to the outside world, and grab everybody while they sleep. And the chaos just rings through this story. The catastrophe is clear. Buscema just nails this. The terror is on the page, and it recalls a Nazi invasion. It's like a blitzkrieg. People are being dragged out of their homes and beds, and it's not even dawn yet. And we have a historical basis to show how this would really play out. And you know, for all of its darkness and grimness, The Dark Knight Rises didn't sell the danger the way this story does. And I say that with the full caveat that there are goofy nets on jets trying to catch the paratroopers. Think about that for a moment. A major motion picture doesn't quite have the oomph of a comic from 1970s about a city being invaded and trapped. I mean, these paratroopers are making a valiant effort. I even hear Flight of the Valkyries when they arrive, but Ares has thought of almost everything. And really, when you're looking at it, we're looking at the first six pages of a 20-page comic, and Manhattan is in chains, as well as Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, and Quicksilver. Now, 
just to give you a little backtrack, issue 81 just left with them investigating the Zodiac. They weren't in any danger, there was no cliffhanger, which means that this revelation that they are captured is kind of a mind blower. And you know, I've always been partial to John Buscema's Captain America. As a kid at the local fair, I once got a Mylar balloon with an image of Buscema's cap. Loved that thing, we tied it to my brother's stroller, walked around the fair, and it came loose. And it floated away. And you know, the sad thing is my mom tried to console me by saying maybe it'll blow back over the house and we can grab it then. Guys, I watched for that balloon for years. Years, hoping that it would float past the house. Of course, it never did. Not for nothing, Buscema's Thor is a standout, and his Iron Man doesn't suck, but it's not really anything to write home about. However, Ares, Ares is a pretty freaky looking character in his Ram mask. He looks like something out of a tarot card. It's quite terrifying, to be honest with you. It's a great choice for a villain. When we boil this down, what do we really have here, though? When you think about it, we have an Avengers-level situation. Manhattan in the grips of a villain, nobody else able to help, and yet, the Avengers are captured. While I run hot and cold on Roy Thomas on this era, I think this instance, we see the real Roy Thomas coming out, not the Stanley mimicking. So with that set up, this issue's only got to go up, right? Well, let's find out. Let's jump into the second part of this story. Elsewhere in New York, three extant members of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Goliath, helplessly watch Ares' announcement, as do the Fantastic Four and Peter Parker, and the Black Panther sees the chaos ensuing and seeks help from another costumed hero. At that moment, Matt Murdock is accosted by some of Ares' guards when the lights go out, allowing Murdock to move freely in the cover of darkness. Matt manages to change into his Daredevil costume and trash the guards as the Black Panther makes his presence known. The Panther recruits Daredevil to help rescue the Avengers against steep odds, and Daredevil agrees to help. The Man Without Fear and the Black Panther rush to the location where the Avengers are being held and invade it, taking down all of the guards. But Ares appears, telling the heroes that their heroes are in another castle. But he thanks them for walking right into his trap. Ares points that strange, onk-looking key at the heroes, and it shoots a beam that disables the Black Panther and sets the room ablaze. Daredevil grabs the Panther and gets the hell out of Dodge as Ares decides to move ahead with his plan. The citizens of New York are rounded up and herded into Madison Square Garden where the Avengers will be executed. Okay, let's stop there again. This setup has been well done over the three issues. We kind of have this minor schism forming in the Avengers, leading to the members splitting up, which takes some members off the table. They are still blocked out in a different area where they cannot get in to help their teammates. It's compelling until you really, really think about it. I mean, sure, the force field keeps out the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, but think about the members we're talking about who are trapped outside the force field. We have the Vision and Scarlet Witch as well as Goliath. Take Goliath off the board, that's one thing. However, you have Scarlet Witch. I mean, her whole power is predicated on making the improbable happen, as well as the Vision who can change his density as in become intangible or hard as diamond. It's very, very possible that these two characters could easily get through the force field. Now granted, if we do that, our boy Daredevil doesn't get the time to shine that he's going to get. But it's a minor, minor nitpick. However, on the more positive side of things, Buscema does a spot on John Romita Peter Parker. And of course, Peter's at his Aunt May's house, so he's in Queens, well away from Manhattan. And the Fantastic Four have been out of town, so they're blocked out as well. Beyond my little Scarlet Witch Vision loophole, it sets up a very great idea that the teammates who are captured are all alone, which kind of builds the thrust of the story as the Black Panther and Daredevil team up. Now to set that up a little bit more, when Daredevil and Black Panther teamed up against Star Saxon in issue 52, T'Challa, Black Panther's real name, pieced together that Matt is Daredevil, which pays off here as he slips off the lights allowing Matt to do what he does. And you know, when you look at the visuals of the Black Panther in his simple costume, which is an all-black bodysuit head to toe, 
it can be a challenge to make him look dynamic, because we're dealing with a single color, much like Daredevil. Buscema makes it work, though. Again, same kind of secret with Daredevil. The use of shadows and the restraint of that use. Luckily, Black Panther and Daredevil have built up a level of trust between the two of them. So when the Panther proposes saving the Avengers, Daredevil decides, hey, game on, I'm down with that. And of course, they go rushing into this trap, but it's such a great sequence because Buscema has some strong, strong storytelling chops. You look at the last panel as they're busting through the skylight. We see it from the Black Panther's point of view, his hands visible. That's a great, great visual note. And speaking of note, there is an editor's note that points out that Black Panther and Daredevil teamed up over 24, quote-unquote, Marvel hours ago in Daredevil number 69. To give you a frame of reference, Daredevil number 70 was on stands this same month. So 69 was just the previous month. In that issue, T'Challa and Daredevil deal with a street gang called the Thunderbolts. No relation to the supervillain team. And later in the issue, it's going to be mentioned that that's connected to the Zodiac somehow. And I'll be honest with you, there's no evidence to that end in the issue. They're just a normal, standard street gang. But more on that a little bit later. Kind of getting back to my original train of thought, like Colin, Buscema knows how to stage a fight. The sequence between Daredevil and Black Panther looks dynamic. It's interesting, even though it's a brief battle. But where is Admiral Akbar when you need him? Get in, do the fight, and it turns out the Avengers aren't even there because Ares moved them. And while it doesn't necessarily bode well that our hero has walked right into a trap, it at least sets up Ares as being intelligent. He's a good villain for this type of story. He's somebody who is hard to overcome because he's thought of all the angles. Now looking at it in digital form from Marvel Digital Unlimited, the scene of Daredevil and Black Panther getting out of the house, the colors just explode off the page. And unfortunately, I don't have a physical copy to compare it to, but the digital recoloring is phenomenal. And let's take a moment to talk about the Black Panther for a moment. Here, he takes the brunt of the explosion to protect Daredevil. I'll be honest with you, T'Challa, that's a guy I want in my corner. He's upfront, he's honorable, he is loyal. To give you a little bit of background, Black Panther first appeared in Fantastic Four number 52. He was a character that was being workshopped as a concept called Cold Tiger. Panther is extremely relevant. He's the first mainstream black superhero. Now, if we're being honest about it, up to T'Challa, African Americans in comic books were portrayed as stereotypes. And that's at best. For the most part, they were bad, insulting caricatures like Ebony Black in the Spirit. And I think it says something to the progressive nature of Marvel that they made an effort to change that, to go against the narrow-minded presentation that we had seen in comics up to that point. He's a well-spoken ruler of a rich nation called Wakanda. As mentioned, he's honorable, he's a good guy, he's a compelling character, and a badass to boot. So he really broke a lot of new ground, and I'm very impressed with Marvel that they decided to evolve when other comic book companies hadn't quite gotten there yet. Now, the scenario we're in right now mirrors Black Panther's joining of the Avengers in issue 52 of their book. In that issue, the team was captured by Grim Reaper, and the Panthers saved their bacon. And yet, we have that same scenario here. Black Panther for MVP? I mean, come on. It's kind of a shoe-in, right? I mean, it is what it is. He is definitely saving them. Again. But, moving on a little bit, you can fairly judge an artist on their crowd scenes. Are they stock? Are they taking shortcuts? Well, here, Buscema gives us 31 or so visible citizens being dragged to Madison Square Garden. Each one is unique. It doesn't look like he took a shortcut. They feel real, which sells the kind of terror that we're dealing with. So, shit has gotten real. So now, it's Daredevil versus an army who has supplanted the Avengers. Impossible odds for the man without fear. So, how does he fare? Let's jump into the last act and find out. 
The crowd is gathered at Madison Square Garden as the Avengers are put on display on a makeshift stage. But Matt, in a blonde wig, tries to charge at Ares as he is making a grandstanding speech. Matt is overtaken by Ares' guards who drag Matt up to the stage and this is where Matt makes his desperate move. Angling his billy club, he fires a line from it right into the machinery that is keeping the Avengers contained, deactivating it. And the Avengers are free and destroy their shackles and the fight begins. Now assembled, they make short work of Ares' troops. But, in the fight, Ares slips away and boards his private jet to escape the inevitable defeat that's about to go down. Thor pursues Ares, but as the Thunder God catches the plane, Ares uses the Zodiac Key to order the force field to close in on Manhattan and the people within it. Thor literally calls down the thunder and destroys the jet, and apparently kills Ares himself. The force field drops and the US Army overtakes the remaining troops that Ares left behind. The day is saved. As the issue ends, the Avengers gather and compare notes, piecing together that the seemingly unrelated cases they have been working on are all interrelated. Daredevil tells the heroes about a fable of three blind men trying to describe an elephant, with each feeling a different portion of the animal. The three blind men didn't know what they were looking at as a whole until they compared notes. With that, Daredevil swings off, leaving the Avengers with a lot to think about, and Black Panther with a great inside joke. Okay, so kind of going through this last section here, the fact that Ares got the garden up and running for something like this should speak to his efficiency. I mean, granted, he didn't have to go through booking, but he got most of Manhattan in there and was able to set it up to, well, display the Avengers and destroy them. To that end, let me mention this. Madison Square Garden, it's kind of a relevant spot. That's where Jack Murdoch made his fateful decision. And that's also where Daredevil once faced Captain America in the ring. Do I really have to point out the irony that Daredevil also makes a potentially fatal decision, this time to save Captain America? I don't think that's intentional in the plot. I think Madison Square Garden is the most logical place for a scene like this. However, Thomas accidentally nails it. It's a perfect slice of Matt Murdock and the irony that sometimes comes with being Daredevil. The idea of being a hero and putting your life on the line in the light of complete and certain danger. And of course, props to Thomas. He mentions leftover Mike Murdock shades and a blonde wig. You know, at least he's making an effort to hide his secret identity. Granted, within a few hours it may not matter, but you know what? The effort is appreciated, and he even included an ascot in that disguise, because all disguises must have an ascot. Okay, I can't back that up. I don't think anybody should wear an ascot, but fashion is fashion, right? And looking at the Avengers, they're kept in these Brainiac-style bottles with their heads poking out, and I just kind of imagine a hee-haw-type discussion. Thor pops up and says, Verily, Captain, have you heard about the two antennas that fell in love? Cap pops back up and says, No, I haven't. And Thor says, Two antennas met on a roof, fell in love, and got married. The ceremony wasn't much, but the reception was excellent. Verily, ha-ha. And if you've seen Hee Haw, well, you know how that goes. Now Matt, when he does his move, it inspires others. Others start to rush, but they don't have the resolve, so they back down. And I started to wonder, are there enough people in attendance that they could actually overtake the army, if everybody was of the right mind? And that I'm not sure. It doesn't show here the crowd scene quite as prominently as we saw earlier, which would be insane when you think about it. I mean, that stuff's fine for a Superman versus Muhammad Ali cover, putting distinctive faces in a large crowd, but here, come on, this is a page within a story. I mean, admittedly, I wouldn't judge the crowd for not charging them. Even with Matt kind of knowing what he's doing, it's a slim Death Star exhaust port chance. Even at that, there's an even smaller chance that Matt can preserve his secret identity, but he pulls it off and it's kind of a by-the-seat-of-his-pants move. And of course, the machine's power source also looks like more Kirby tech, this one a little bit more prominent than the original. 
And we get to it, the shout-worthy moment as the Avengers go into action. And suddenly the odds are changing. Now we've got Thor on our side, we've got Captain America, and we get this great awesome shot of Thor bursting out of his bottle. His muscles are rippling, he is mighty. Just the regal god of thunder rising up against his enemy. Captain America gets a screaming face. I mean, come on, he's Captain America, he needs a little bit more than that. Now as we get into the battle, it's a whirl of images. And then suddenly Black Panther gets a moment to shine as he knocks over the tower. I'm not sure where he was in all of this, because I kind of assumed he was injured and kind of taken off the field. That Matt took him somewhere where he could recuperate, and it was only Matt versus the world. But it is what it is. Again, it's a whirl of images, but it seems truncated to fit the length of the issue. Now granted, I appreciate that this is a good one-and-done in itself. A really well-written, well-done one-off is a treat, but I think with this setup... The sheer concept of it and the scope of it, even though that's not really sold, this could have been a decent two-parter. Of course, we have this panel of Thor destroying the plane, which owns the issue. Probably the single best panel in the issue. Now, of course, it's murder, but Thor is a warrior, right? I mean, I guess the lesson is do not f*** with Thor. He will blow a bitch up. But the thing that bothers me is that nothing is said to Thor about the blatant killing. This is the Avengers. Shouldn't they have a meeting going over the bylaws? But no. Nothing. Let's pretend it didn't happen. Now, that's a completely different argument, and I don't want to start it. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done what he did. I mean, the entire island of Manhattan is at stake. I understand it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying somebody should have said, you know, Thor, that's a little messed up. I mean, it should have at least been acknowledged, but no. We do get a conversation about how all of these odd connections are being pulled together. Daredevil 69, as I mentioned, in the Thunderbolts, as well as Cornelius Van Lunt housing and funding the army. And these connections aren't really there in the previous material. They don't necessarily contradict it, but I think in this case we're looking at the proof positive that a square peg can go into a round hole if forced. And of course Daredevil drops the Bing Kenobi on the Avengers with his little parable. So not only does he save their bacon, but he teaches them a valuable lesson. I wonder if they're reconsidering their stance from Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1 when they called in Daredevil to ask him about Spider-Man's candidacy for the Avengers. If I were Daredevil, I would almost look at that as being, you know, the girl I love asking me pointers on how to get in bed with another guy. So hopefully there was a conversation of, wow, we kind of treated him like ass. Sorry about that. The best part of this is Black Panther is the only one that gets the full scope of Daredevil's words. Basically, he's in on the inside joke. But time to deliver the final verdict on Avengers number 82. This is a solid, solid story, despite some forced connections at the end. We have a standout villain that succeeds in taking the island of Manhattan, which is kind of a big deal. And of course, Daredevil has a valid reason to be in the fray, based on his location, his relationship to the city, his relationship to Black Panther. Not only that, but he is a relevant part of the story. He saves the Avengers, and again, he drops some knowledge on them and gives them something to think about. Buscema does a great job on art, and does a great job of staying out of the story's way. He tells the story without grandstanding it with his art. But, it occurs to me when I did a little bit more research, there's no relevance to this story. There are no repercussions, and that's not the fault of the story. We see it within the story itself, of course, with Thor killing the villain and nobody mentions it, but it doesn't have the shockwaves it should in in the greater Marvel Universe. If you look at the books of some of the characters involved, Captain America number 131, Cap is fighting Von Strucker. Fantastic Four number 104, they're fighting Magneto. Iron Man number 31 has him in Ireland, fending off saboteurs at a Stark plant there. Amazing Spider-Man number 90 is relevant because George Stacy died at the hands of Dr. Octopus. 
and Thor number 182 has him fighting Doctor Doom. You would think something as big as the taking of Manhattan would be mentioned at least here or there, but I've never seen this on any top 10 lists, I've never seen it referenced, and granted I can see that. If it's not on a top 10 list I understand because, well, the Avengers spend most of the issue being owned. But I'm surprised this felt like a hidden nugget in there, and it's a one-off to boot. It's just good comics. It's a clean tale with high stakes, and Thomas manages to meter out the exposition and backstory to make this a standalone, and a damn good one. It really is just that. It's good comics. It's straightforward heroes versus villain, and I felt extremely satisfied with it. But we are not done with the Zodiac. Next week, we're going from one crossover to another, as the Zodiac key has fallen into the hands of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Capricorn of the Zodiac is about to employ an agent to get it back. Iron Man is hot on his tail, and Daredevil is going to get dragged right into the fray when we look at Iron Man number 35, the first of a two-part crossover. And of course, over the next week, if you feel inclined, please visit daredevilpodcast.com. There are links there to subscribe to the show via iTunes, RSS, and Stitcher. There's also a contact form there to drop the show a line. It would be appreciated. Or if you want to do it directly, the email address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. And join me on social media. I'm at facebook.com slash daredevilpodcast and twitter.com slash daveweeder. Thank you so much for spending some time with me, and I'll see you next week. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Carol's evil father, he lost his king. Dream of Ghost Rider when you hear his name. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.